I'm reading this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Well, good morning. This is a wonderful passage that brings us into an amazing celebration, a parade. We love parades, don't we? Especially after a great victory. North Carolina just won the college basketball championship and thousands showed up this week to celebrate in a parade. They were the champions. We all want victory. We love it. Israel wanted victory. Jerusalem wanted to have a parade. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. A deliverer. A king to come in power. They wanted 59 Tomahawk missiles to come in and attack the cruel, oppressive Roman government and deliver them from that threat. You know what's interesting is Jesus lived in that time. He lived in that time when Roman oppression was strong. He was right in the middle of it. What was he going to do about it? Well, he's going to show up. He's going to show up as the real king. But a kingdom unlike anything that we could ever think of or could imagine. His ways not being our ways. And he's calling those who live under his lordship to live as he did. Live in a way that is opposite to our human, our fleshly thinking. Not in a way that pursues after power, pursues after wealth. A way that submits our lives unto Jesus Christ and His humility and His gentleness, His salvation. You see, we want Rome to surrender to His mighty power. But Jesus is more concerned about our hearts being surrendered unto Him. 
in the middle of the evil, in the middle of the difficulty, his biggest concern is our hearts surrendered unto him. He is concerned about the plight of the poor. He's concerned about the oppressed. He's concerned about evil in this world. And he walks through it all with us. But in the middle of the mess, in the middle of all that's swirling around us, all this confusion and, again, evil, he's most concerned about our relationship with him. Will we draw close to him? Will we surrender our lives unto him? You know, it's interesting. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and he came in on that donkey, and he went into the city, and he went into the temple. Isn't it interesting that he didn't go and he didn't attack the fortress, the tower? He didn't call out as angels of heaven to destroy the Roman stronghold. He didn't come in and, and like WWE wrestler Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he didn't come and take a Roman soldier and lift him over his head and and throw him to the ground, and go off the ropes, and body slam him, and defeat Roman oppression. As he enters Jerusalem, as he enters the city, he attacks not the Roman oppression, but the religious oppression. He starts turning tables upside down. This place was meant to be a place of prayer. This place was meant to be a place where you draw close to God. This place is a place that you worship the Lord God. And instead they're being ripped off. Some are even being held back from worshiping God because they don't have enough money to pay for for the sacrifice that needs to be made. The money changers were charging incredible amounts for lambs and for doves, and they didn't have the money, and so they weren't able to go in and make their sacrifice. Jesus' primary focus is not the oppressive, cruel Roman government. It's that the people, even under the brutal leadership of the time, that they would draw close to him. The real king, the righteous king, the only one who can save, the only one who can save our souls from sin, the only one who will conquer completely evil and death, the only one who will have ultimate victory. And that's the hope we have. It's a real hope. And so the question is, will we surrender our hearts to Him? Will we lay down our lives, our cloaks, if you will, before the humble King Jesus, the only Savior of the world? The Scripture says very clearly, see, your King comes to you. That's you personally. Do you see him? Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning through your word that, that you will minister to our hearts. I pray that we will see you in a new way. And Father, help us to lay down our cloaks before you, our lives before you. Father, we want to draw close and we know that you draw close to us. We thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you for this reflection of Holy Week. Make our hearts tender. May we go through the journey with you, Father, in our souls. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. As we go through this passage in in Matthew 21, what I'd like to do is, 
is for us to ask the question, what does it mean to lay down our cloaks before the King? Lay down our hearts and our lives before Jesus. What's happening is, is Jesus is coming on the Roman road. He's coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. The time is Passover. There's thousands upon thousands of pilgrims that are coming to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice, to come and to worship God. And I want to give you an idea of numbers because I think it's much more than we ever thought. Even 30 years after this Passover celebration, a Roman governor took a census to count how many lambs are slaughtered at this time of Passover. And the calculation was 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. The rule was there would be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. So just 30 years later, there was about 2.5 million pilgrims who came into the land to come and worship at Passover. So we can rightly assume that there was hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million of people coming at Passover time. And it's in this context, in Passover, where everything on their minds is the deliverance out of Egypt, Exodus. They're thinking about God delivered us from from the oppression of Pharaoh, from Egypt, as they came after us. And God swamped them in the Red Sea. So everything that's going on with the Jewish pilgrims is, is focused on this. And they're longing to be ultimately delivered again. And in this case, delivered from Roman oppression. We want a Messiah, a King, who will bring us out in this exodus from this oppression. And it's in the middle of this context that Jesus shows up. Jesus has been teaching His disciples. He's been spending a lot of time in Galilee. He's been teaching them what it means to follow Him, what it means to be a disciple. Everything He's teaching them is so contrary and upside down to everything they know. His ways are not our ways. His kingdom is not the kingdom we thought. His kingdom is is a kingdom of, of love and justice and peace and sacrifice. Not of power and wealth and dominating. And everything about how we have life together is so contrary from everything we thought this is how we should do life. So he's been teaching them that and he's been doing miracles on the way. And just before, just a little while before he comes riding in on a donkey, he performed an incredible miracle. You remember what it was? Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Word had gotten out about Jesus. Word had gotten out about the miracles he was doing. But here comes one who raised a man from the dead, Lazarus. And and there's Lazarus right over there. Everybody was wanting to see Jesus. Thousands upon thousands are getting word. It was a community where everything was oral tradition and passed along. And so you can imagine the gathering at Passover time. Jesus is going to show up. And he's going to enter in. To Jerusalem, and he's going to reveal himself as the king. Remember that old show? Some of you will remember this, many won't, but it was the old show to tell the truth, and they'd have all these different people up, and, and only one was telling the truth about who they were. And at the end of it, it's, it would say, Will this real person stand up? 
And that's what's happening. Will the real Messiah please stand up? And you know what? He is right now at this scene on Palm Sunday. He asks the disciples to go, and, and I think they, as they get uh, into town, he says, I want you to go get a donkey for me. It's over at this house, and they'll be ready for you. I think he asks them actually to go over to, to Bethany. Bethany was a town. Jesus spent a lot of time in Bethany. Mary uh, was there, and Martha was there, and Lazarus lived there. He spent a lot of time there. And so I think he had a lot of friends, specifically in Bethany, and I think he had talked to one of the guys and said, hey, listen, there's going to come a time where the Lord, me, I'm going to need, I'm going to need a colt. I'm going to need a young donkey. And so he asked to go get this donkey, and, and it had to be one that wasn't ridden. It was always the idea that that which wasn't ridden was, was for special purpose. You can sort of picture the disciples arguing about it. Hey, guys, I want you to go grab the donkey. And they're just like, I don't want to get the donkey. You get the donkey. I'm enjoying this moment with the Lord. I mean, you can just sort of picture that going on. They, they would argue a lot with each other. Now, you get the donkey. And I'm sure they called each other donkey names. <laughs> it wasn't a menial task. It wasn't a menial task to go get that donkey. It took place, as Scripture says, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And it's out of Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I found an interesting word study as I was going through this passage out of Zechariah where it says, it says, He is coming righteous and having salvation is He. But in the original language, it's interesting, it says, He is coming righteous and saved. Righteous and saved. You go, well, wait a second, He's the Messiah, He's the Savior. He doesn't need saving, He does the saving. But as you, as you think about it a little more, it just it reminds us of, of God, of the Trinity. It reminds us of the power of, of God. It reminds us of the power of the Holy Spirit, all active and all part of this whole scene that's taking place. Why would Jesus need saving when He's the Deliverer? We know He was perfect, so He didn't need saving from sin. But I think God showed up and laid out a prophecy My son, whom I love, who I'm sending to die, I will save him from death. And as I raise him up through the power of the Holy Spirit, because he's going to be the payment for our sin, he will be the Savior of the world. And he will free us from sin and death. He is now the payment, but he is saved by God And now he's going to lay down his life so that we may have life. That should give us hope about the power of God all the way through the story of the Bible. And as we think about our Lord and Savior who laid down his life for us, we should lay down our cloaks before our Savior. Well, how can we lay down our cloaks before the Lord? What does that look like? One of the ways I see in this passage that we can lay down our cloaks, our lives, our hearts, is that we actually see Jesus as the Messiah, the true King. 
The people had always understood Zechariah's prophecy to refer to the Messiah, God's anointed king. When Jesus mounted that donkey, he was presenting himself on that day. He was presenting himself as the true king, as the Messiah, and he knew it. Because the people understood the scriptures. They knew exactly who it was referring to. And he shows up, getting on the foal, getting on the donkey, and by his actions he is saying, Behold, your king comes unto you. Again, you've got to imagine the crowds and, and people who are following him, thousands upon thousands. And then those who are just coming to check out what the heck is going on. What's all the noise about, so to speak? But I believe that as the people were coming close, and as they were seeing this scene, I believe for many, their hearts were drawn to Jesus. And I believe the soil started to soften in their hearts. And they started to believe. Many times you hear, no, 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 you know, they just showed up, and this, this crowd, you know, they went into town, and just a few days later they're saying, Hey, crucify that guy. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some in the crowd who were crying Hosanna and then later were saying crucify him. I'm sure of that. But I'm also sure that there were many, many, many who as they saw their king, as Zechariah was fulfilled, that their hearts were softened to the true Messiah. And that they started to believe and put their faith in him. This is the long awaited Messiah. I lay my cloak before him. Will you lay your cloak before Jesus? He's not just some guy who came riding into town. He is the righteous and true king. He is the savior of the world, the only savior. Many that day, I believed, were touched to their core. And we know later, as Peter got up and taught at Passover, that all of a sudden, thousands were touched to their core. 3,000 that one day at Pentecost. The people knew their Bibles. They started to understand who he was. Solomon became Israel's king, and he was presented on a donkey of his father David in 1 Kings 1, 38. They began to lay down their cloaks because that's what you do when a king comes into town. Elisha, Elisha anoints Jehu in 2 Kings 9. Jehu hears from Elisha, and people are wondering what this conversation is going on in 2 Kings. And Elisha says this to the people. He says, here's what he told me. Here's what Elisha said to me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then it says this. They quickly took their cloaks and they spread them under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet, and they shouted, Jehu is king! As the people on Palm Sunday that day celebrated, they recognized this is a king coming into town. And this is what you do for kings. And then I think they were trying to figure it all out. What does this king really look like? Who is he really? And you know there was an honest wrestle. Some figured it out. Some hadn't quite figured it out yet. 
Again, they wanted that political leader to deliver them from, from cruel Roman oppression. But Jesus is going right to their hearts. And I think many hearts were transformed as the king came riding into town. He was the rightful king. Psalm 118, Save us, they cried out. Save us, O Lord. We pray that you give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Hosanna. We lay our cloaks before Jesus when we recognize him as the rightful king. One of the other ways that we can lay our cloaks before Jesus is that we recognize our need for salvation. Our desperate need for salvation. You know what? We are, we are so self-sufficient. We have so many talents and abilities. And we, we get ourselves out of a lot of difficult situations. But the one thing that you'll find over and over again is you cannot get yourself out of the weight and the consequence of sin. We are all, each and every one, wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And one of the ways that we lay our cloaks down before the Lord is we surrender our lives unto Him and we say, I need you as my Savior. I see you as the Messiah. I see you as the Deliverer. Not only Savior from evil, ultimately, but Savior of my soul. I can't keep coming to the temple all the time. I can't offer enough sacrifice. I still have the burden and the weight of sin. And so we lay down our cloaks as we recognize our need for Him. The crowds didn't totally get it at the time. Again, many were looking for political deliverance. But His salvation isn't from just that. His salvation is that deliverance from sin and death, from the eternal wrath of God. And therefore we cry out. And we confess that I am a guilty sinner. I deserve to be condemned for my sins. Hosanna, save us! Hosanna is partly a cry of of victory. Deliver us from this power. But it also recognizes that Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to save. It's a desperate cry, like one thrown overboard in the ocean. Save me, Jesus. And we lay our cloaks down as we submit to His sovereign rule. And He's praised with hosannas. He is the victorious King. It's an invitation, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. And we lay our cloak, our lives before Him. What happens is, when we lay our cloaks, when we surrender our hearts unto Jesus, then we are saved from our sin. We are washed clean like we sang this morning. We are given new life. Scripture says we are transformed. We're a new creation in Christ. And all of a sudden, now our lives are moving from our own kingdom and from this way that we thought the world should do it with power and money and all that the world throws at us. And now we're going, Lord, I want to live under your kingship, your lordship. Show me. 
lead me. And for us who live now in the day of the Spirit, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Him and to really have life, to live in the life of Christ, to follow His example. And one of the ways that that I see, and this is actually leading up to chapter 21, but one of the ways I see that that we can start to, to lay our cloaks down in obedience to this King is by surrendering our lives and living a life of service, becoming a servant to all. I was studying the many chapters before we get into chapter 21 on Palm Sunday. And it was kind of fun to discover some things that Jesus kept teaching over and over again. And I think it's applicable to what's going on here. Jesus, in Matthew 19, he's speaking about one who came to him, a rich young ruler. He had a lot of money. And he says, what what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus isn't so concerned about things you must do for him. He's concerned again about a heart that's, that's surrendered unto him. And so he says finally to the young man, he says, listen, I want you to sell everything you have. That was really difficult for that rich young man. And he went away sad because he had a lot. And ultimately at the end of the story, because Jesus is teaching his disciples about what eternal life looks like, about what the kingdom of God looks like, what it looks like to follow me. He says, you know, everything, everybody thinks that all the money is all the power. That's how you should have life. The end of the story says, you know, the reality is the first shall be last and, and the last shall be first. That's what my kingdom looks like. You think the, the money is, is what gets you first, you know, in the first place. No, no, that's not how I function. Then he goes on and he tells a parable in Matthew 20. And he says, hey, there were some guys, uh, there was an owner who had a vineyard and there were some guys, that the owner of the vineyard went out and he hired some guys to do work. So he went to the first guy and said, listen, I'm going to give you a denarius for the day of work. And they're like, great, we appreciate it. We're going to go work your vineyard. Then in the middle of the day, he finds some other guys and says, hey, do you want to work? He says, yeah, come and work. And so they come and work the vineyard. And then just towards the end of the day, he finds some other guys. He says, hey, come work my vineyard. And so they do. And then at the end of the day, Jesus goes to pay those who worked. And so the ones who only worked just a few hours he actually gives a denarius to. And so the guys who worked all day, they're like, hey, we're going to get more than a denarius. This is a good deal. This is a gracious, kind landowner. The ones who worked half the day, he gave a denarius to. The ones who worked all day long, he gave a denarius to. And boy, they were not happy about that. What's he only given us? We worked so much more. Don't you, I mean, you can't do that. That's not fair. He's telling a parable about this is what the kingdom of God is like. That's not fair. He's like, wait a second. Am I not the landowner? Don't I have the right to give as I feel fit? Am I not just? Didn't I give you what I told you I'd give you? Well, yeah, but don't tell me how to, to, to give blessing to my people. You don't tell me that. This is totally contrary to how the world functions. This is what my kingdom's like. I freely give as I want. I freely invite people to work into my, come into my vineyard as I want. And just because you did all this work for me doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden deserve more blessing. 
And at the end of the story, you know what he says? You know what? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's not about self and demanding for self. There was others who needed work and needed to feed their families. Lord took care of them. Then he goes on and he tells another story in, in Matthew 20. He says, listen, this mom came to me. Mom came and said, listen, I want my two sons to sit at your right hand and your left because this is going to be a powerful kingdom, Jesus. Can we get them into place? Because you're going to come and you're going to be this mighty king who will deliver. So come and do your work. And they're trying to position these two boys, two of his disciples, into place. And you know what Jesus says at the end of that story? He says, Listen, you want to be first, you need to be last. You want to be in first position, you need to be servant of all. You want to be of high prestige or of high honor, you need to be a slave. See, isn't this Jesus' upside-down kingdom? And what happens is when we are just pierced to the core with the love of Christ and we are saved, then he starts to lead us into the way that his kingdom is. His kingdom is about serving each other. So one of the ways that we lay down our cloaks before the king is we enter into a life of sacrifice and service, considering others more valuable than ourselves. This honors the king. And this honors his kingship. And this is obedient to the way he wants us to live out in his kingdom. And so we serve one another. I came, Jesus says, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. When we serve each other, we reflect the love of Jesus. Dan Cathy, who was the, uh, and is the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, he was building some, uh, some new Chick-fil-A restaurants in Southern California. And Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback, he's a friend of his, and they were out checking out the new properties, and, and they were still in construction zone. And in the middle of the day, they were getting hungry, and so they went next door. To, there was a Taco Bell next door. And so they were dirty from, from being outside all day, and so they went into the bathroom to use the facilities and, and to wash their hands. And Rick Warren noticed that Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, he started to grab some paper towels, got some water on them, and he, he started to wipe down the, the sinks, started to wipe down the toilets. And Rick's like, Dan, what are you doing? You know, I mean, thanks, I guess. You know, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it's just the way I live, man. We, I always know that when I come into a place, I'm going to leave it, I'm going to leave it better than it was. And, you know, who am I? Who am I to think I'm above these things? He, he lived a life of humility. He's a CEO of Chick-fil-A, which I think makes pretty decent money. And he's wiping down the bathroom of his, of his competition, Taco Bell. Nobody from Taco Bell knew that. He just did it. It's a life that reflects humility, a life that reflects service, a life that considers others more valuable. That's a way that we lay down our cloaks before Jesus. The last area that we can see where our cloaks can be laid down is in gentleness. You see, he rides in humble, gentle. It's interesting in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Oh, daughters of Zion. 
You've got to understand this gentleness here. It's beautiful. A gentleness that, that speaks about us as his children. It's a very tender term, isn't it? Oh, daughter of Zion. You can picture a little girl crawling into her daddy's lap. But he does that for us sons and daughters. He lives a life of gentleness. He is one who's going to bring in peace. It's not by bringing in war. It's not by crushing the Roman oppression. It's by serving and bringing in his gentleness. And yet, that gentleness is not weak. It's not weak. That gentleness is, we we call it meekness. It's, It's strength under control, isn't it? That's who Jesus was. And if our righteous king came in with gentleness, and if he saved us, with gentleness, then we too live our lives with gentleness. And we're empowered. Remember, it's a fruit of the Spirit. That means through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be gentle towards each other. So much, even in our Christian community, we're, we're doing this all the time, aren't we? And we're fighting, and we're saying unkind words, and we're attacking. And the Lord's saying, no, no, no. That's not who I am. You now, saved by me, now have the power to be gentle. And as you're gentle to one another, as you're bringing forth truth and life and love, that's what changes. That's bringing in my kingdom. And we're called to be a people of gentleness, living that out. And let your gentleness be evident to all, Philippians 4 says. When Jesus comes riding into town, He deserves our praise. And He is worthy that we would be ones who would lay our cloaks before Him. And that we would cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this morning, that we would recognize You, that we would surrender our lives unto You. And that we would live out our lives in your kingdom as you desire. And thank you, Father, for setting the example. The ultimate servant. The ultimate sacrifice. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. That whoever should believe upon you, Jesus, shall be saved. May we surrender that to you this morning. In your precious name, amen.